We're in our final week of a series titled The Enneagram, and we looked at the nine personality types, and we're trying to discover how God has uniquely designed us and then grow deeper in our relationship with God and then also in our relationship with each other. You know, before this series, um, I used to think that, that humans just had personalities that were just slightly uh, different from one another, you know, extroverted, introverted, and as I've moved through this journey over the past uh, nine weeks, eight or nine weeks, um, I, think, I think we're really nine different personality species of humans, and, and it's really fascinating to me how this has enriched my life, and, and I know I've heard a lot of comments uh, about how it's enriched the lives of the folks who have tuned in. And so as we understand each other more and more and more, we learn about our personality diversity, and we truly gain insight into uh, living and loving well. I do most of the premarital counseling here at Anderson Hills, and so I am meeting with two couples preparing for their marriage and, and leading them in counseling, and I've actually just started to use the Enneagram test and resources uh, to help them. And it's my hope that these individuals and everyone um, can have a better understanding of what drives them, what's their core temptations and weaknesses, and then also when they're at their worst and then when the people are at their best. Also the spiritual practices that can help us in our relationships uh, with ourselves and deepen our spiritual growth. So today, we're going to look at type nine, the peacemaker. It's been said that nines are the sweethearts of the Enneagram personalities. They are called peacemakers because they are natural mediators. They're easygoing, kind of go-at-the-flow types. They value perspectives of other people. They are unselfish, flexible, and inclusive. They are loyal friends. They tune into people. Therefore, they are very, very wonderful listeners. And so they're quick to love, slow to judge, down-to-earth, and very practical people. Peacemakers reflect the peace of God. Their gift to this world is a desire to help people create spaces, or they create spaces for people to thrive. My wife, Kimberly, she is a peacemaker. Ultra. She's a rock star kindergarten teacher. Her classroom is a place where kids can thrive and even in our home, as you walk into our home, uh, you can definitely see that it is primarily decorated by a peacemaker. Check out these signs that are all over the house. I went around and took pictures. There's house rules. There's family, uh, I, I don't know, words of affirmation. Uh, it's just really wonderful. She wants a house of peace. She wants relationships to thrive with our family. And I love when she uses her kindergarten voice with us, with her kids and me. Okay, friends. Okay, friends. And so I love her for that. And it's just really wonderful how she enriches me a seven. So they, they, want, they want peace internally and externally. They want it in their relationships and in their environment. They truly exist, like I said, for the benefit of others. And, and how, however, they're not always willing to do that for themselves to take care of themselves in those, those deeper ways. And 
decision-making for that can be very difficult for a nine. I like how Mark Rowland puts it. I listened to his message, read his message before. He says, he says, go along to get along. And that's what they do. And when they're unhealthy, they're so motivated to be at peace that they avoid conflict at all costs. And they may be outwardly sweet and easygoing, but inwardly they might be stubborn or hiding that inner turmoil. In fact, they, they struggle to express their anger in a healthy way. And it comes off maybe even as passive-aggressive. So you kind of hear them, they might say to themselves, I'll get them back eventually. And so you might ask a nine, are you angry? And they'll most likely respond, anger? I don't even know what you're talking about. And this can make them become relationally disconnected from others. And most likely this occurs from being overwhelmed by the demands of others and other things in their life. Like I mentioned before, unhealthy nines treasure their inner peace and that equilibrium so much that they'll do anything just to get away from that conflict. And so the sin that they struggle with most is laziness. And I'll get into that. It's not physical laziness. It's not couch potato laziness. It's more emotional and relational. It manifests itself in, uh, in action and indecision. I don't know what to do, so I'll just resign to do nothing. And so I found a scripture that has to do with this. James 4, 17 says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And so nines usually don't commit sins of commission, doing something against. Rather, they commit sin of omission, not doing anything. When healthy, though, nines... They help people thrive in so many ways. They're optimistic, they're reassuring, they're supportive. They have a healing and calming influence upon the world and those around them. Harmonize groups, they bring people together. Famous nines include Abraham Lincoln, Carl Rogers, Jennifer Jason Lee, Andy McDowell, Ron Howard, Kevin Costner, Morgan Freeman, the music of U2, the association, Josh Groban, and Sarah Perales? Yes, got it. Anyway. So one of my favorite bands is U2, and it's, it's just got Peacemaker all over it. And my favorite song, I used to run, uh, you know, I had the fuzzy headphones in, in the 80s. And I used to run with my Walkman, and I would listen to the Joshua Tree album. And that, that is a Peacemaker type of album. The first song is called Where the Streets Have No Names. And Bono wrote that about Belfast, Northern Ireland, where a person's religion and income were identified by what street that they lived on. And he talks about tearing down the walls, and he wants to live in this utopia of peace where streets have no name. And he wants to break down that barrier in that. And so the peacemaker wants to see the world where people are thriving in that harmony and peace. And when they're healthy, they will speak up for that, and reform will take place. We have ten... 10 number nines on staff here at Anderson Hills. We're going to watch a video about two of our number nines, Ashley and Dana. Let's take a look at this video.
An adjective that is often associated with the type 9 peacemaker is adaptive. How does that fit you? I think that um, I can easily adapt to situations because of my tendency to like want to please people and I would rather um, do what everyone else wants to do just to avoid conflict or tension. So that's a way I'm adaptable, what would you say? A peacemaker actually really tries to avoid conflict, but I think it's more realistic to say that we try to maintain and achieve harmony, and those are two different objectives. And with that, I think we're willing to put aside our own feelings or desires for the greater good of the common harmony. What is your deepest fear? My greatest fear is that my relationships, whether it would be friends or family or even coworkers, would not survive a big disagreement or argument, or that even it would be irreparably damaged if I confessed a mistake or even a wrongdoing. Okay, I think my greatest fear is um, being separated from those I love because of a fallout or an argument and um, just overall disappointing others or God. I, I think when I feel most fearful is when I feel like I've done something wrong to uh, make someone else upset. What is your greatest need? My greatest need is having arguments and conflict and those relationships surviving. Me knowing that I will not lose love because we've been in an argument. I think going along with that, my greatest need is to feel that yeah, sense of security within relationships and knowing that um, nothing is going to separate us or um, that even when bad things happen, it's not like the end of the world. How does your type impact your relationship with Christ? It just reminds me of the sanctification of Jesus, that every day we are getting improved and moved along our path into the strengths and the way that he designed us. It's continuous, it's daily, it's ongoing. And again, I admire that path that he's taking me on, and I look to make forward progress each day in that. I think as a nine, I struggle to feel like my voice matters, and when I'm um, in a room with a bunch of people, I won't be the first one to talk because I think that what they have to say or how they feel is uh, more important than my opinions. And uh, I feel like the Lord's really worked on me in that and I can go to him and find uh, my true worth in him and uh, allow him to minister to my heart and tell me that my voice does matter. And even though I'm more of a quiet and reserved person that I can be powerful through the power of his Holy Spirit. That's good stuff. I'm gonna give them a round of applause. That was awesome. They- Put yourself out there, you know. You know, Ashley and Dana, they shine uh, the love of God, the peace of God. And they care so deeply about enriching the lives of the children here at Anderson Hills. Um, And they also, you know, just have that, again, that that quiet peace about them. If you want the peace of God, hang out with with Ashley. She is a peacemaker. She's a peace bringer. She reminds me of what Jesus says, my peace I give unto you. And then if you're feeling cynical or down in the dumps, sit across the table from Dana. She will, you will absorb that optimism and encouragement and support from her and positivity uh, beams from her. So today, and we have throughout the series, we've looked at biblical examples. um, And today the peacemaker is Abraham. Abraham comes on the scene in Genesis 11 and he's the son of Terah and the brother of Nahor and Haran. And they live in the city of Ur in Babylon. 
And the family eventually uh, sets off to move to Cana. And Terah takes his grandson, Lot, and Abraham with him. And the journey from Ur to Cana was thousands of miles. And they only made it halfway, so they started to settle in an area called Haran. And Terah dies, and God calls Abraham to pick up and keep moving to Cana. And Abraham is obedient. He continues that journey. And so we see, though, a diversion. He diverts in chapter 12 of Genesis. There's a famine, so they have to go to Egypt. And here's where we see some unhealthy nine in Abraham. Evidently, Sarah is very beautiful, and Abraham does, doesn't want conflict. So before they enter into Egypt, he tells Sarah, tell everybody, you're my sister. You're not my wife. And I'll be treated well, and we will not be killed. I won't be killed. And so he begins to lie about his relationship. And you see that term, uh, go along to get along. And, but it doesn't keep him out of trouble. He gets in more trouble because Pharaoh and his officials see Sarah's beauty. And Pharaoh wants to take her into his palace. And with that, God will not abide. In Genesis 12, you see... You see that the Lord starts to inflict illnesses upon Sarah, uh, uh, Pharaoh. And he was like, Pharaoh's like, why didn't you tell me? She was your wife. And, you know, Abraham says, well, I, I was just afraid. I was afraid. And so he wants to avoid that conflict. He's dodging conflict rather, and trying to go around the conflict rather than going through it. And it makes matters worse. In chapter 13, this happens again. When Abraham gets into a conflict with his nephew Lot, Abraham has helped his nephew Lot build up his resources. He's blessed him, and Lot becomes wealthy and increases the size of his flocks and livestock. But eventually, Lot's shepherds start to get into it with Abraham's shepherds. Instead of dealing with the conflict in a positive way, Abraham just says, let's just separate. And the way I see it, this was a good opportunity for Abraham just to sit down with Lot and say, you know what, let's, let's talk about this conflict. Let's see how our shepherds can get together here and so that we can benefit each other. But no, he avoided it. He says to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me. Let's part company. I'll go to the left. You go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And see, he's just trying to go around the conflict. We see another example in chapter 16. Uh, Sarah is tired of waiting for the promised uh, child that God spoke about. And so she comes up with her own strong-willed plan to have Abraham sleep with Hagar. And she becomes pregnant with Ishmael. And it starts a soap opera of drama, family tension between two women. And finally, Sarah blows up and blames Abraham for it. And rather than sticking up for Hagar, he avoids that conflict and says, do whatever you think is best, Sarah. And Sarah mistreats her so badly that Hagar runs off. Sin of omission. He could have done what was right there for Hagar. And even though Abraham won't intervene, God sends an angel to rescue Hagar and to bring her back home. You see, get along, or go along to get along. That's unhealthy nine. But in chapter 18, we begin to read about a healthy Abraham. You see, there's three divine 
visitors that show up at his tent and announce uh, that two towns where Lot lives are about to be destroyed. Let's read the story here in Genesis 18. It says, Then the Lord said, you can see it here, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, their sin is so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. And so the men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous and the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you sweep it away and spare that place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you that you do such a thing to kill the righteous along with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? You see, Abraham is beginning to find his voice, and he's talking to the Almighty God, and he's negotiating this. And he responds, for, for 50 I'll spare it, that's what the Lord says, how about 45? And we see, uh, we find that that negotiation is taking place between Abraham and God. And he's this mediator. Unfortunately, there aren't even 10 that can be found. But you see this revelation, the healthy side of Abraham in that nineness. He cares deeply and he wants to stand in the gap for these people. He's pleading for their benefit. This healthy nine is existing and proclaiming these things for the benefit of others. So how can a nine grow in their walk with the Lord? Nines, it begins by realizing that you absolutely matter to God. God sees you. He loves you. We need peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. The world needs peacemakers. And you matter to your family and your friends and your co-worker. And we have, you have to find your voice and stand up and take courage to use that voice to help people thrive. Beth McCord writes this. It's beautiful. The journey of exploring your heart is not an easy one, but it's an exciting one. God has a unique message he tells you as a type nine. That is, your presence matters. You have a voice, and that voice will help people thrive. When you're disconnected from God and others and in genuine peace, God sought you, rescued you. He pulls you close and makes you his beloved child because you are great worth to him. And you're transformed when you believe that in a very special, purpose-filled role in the world. I love that quote by Beth. Basically, she's saying, number nine, engage. Engage. Don't be afraid. Grab up courage and engage in people's lives and know that will matter. And don't try to go around conflict. Go through it. Realize that conflict is not all bad. It leads to positive re resolution, and it enhances situations and relationships. We saw in Abraham's story uh, how no conflict in that disposition that Abraham had for a while and all those biblical examples had a, had a negative ripple effect and consequences for the people around him. Denial is a big defense mechanism. And nines need to express their opinions. They need to be assertive and make declarative state statements, especially to their spouses. I do not want to go to Mexican restaurant again. 
I want to go to Chick-fil-A or I want to go to the Urban Grill. You got to be assertive. And that's what I would say to the nines. In your relationship with God, also put your faith into action. Romans 12, 11 says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You see, I think this is Paul's way of saying, let your faith shine so that God can be glorified through your voice and actions. Serve up this light life and shine in people's darkness. Do the work of your spiritual transformation with that same zeal in cooperation with the Holy Spirit of God. You see, I think nines need to grab hold at that light shining in their calling and in their purpose. And don't be afraid to rock the boat with that, with reforming. Abraham does this, and he answers that call. And you see later on in the scriptures, he's known for his faith. The apostle Paul would write, 2,000 years later in the book of Romans, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Blessed are the peace, the peacemakers. Blessed are those who destroy the barriers that separate people. Blessed are those who seek to end injustice and oppression. Blessed are those who lay down their lives to bring peace with God so that others may go forth in peace, in that peace of God. And I pray that God would give you nines and everyone the courage to be peacemakers.